4 again this evening, Luke chapter 4. And, um, amen. I believe I receive healing from a voice, and I appreciate you, uh, amen, bearing with me tonight. Praise God. Just talking a deeper octave. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. It says, then Jesus returned in the spirit, in the power of the spirit to Galilee and news of him went out through all the surrounding region and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Now we've been in this study on the subject of giving God the place he deserves in our lives and we're learning what that looks like, what that really means, how to do that effectively. And in our more recent portion of this study, we've examined three things. We, what, what we're calling, um, and we said pay close attention to, a reception, response, and results. And as you study the Gospels, I would encourage you to do that throughout the Gospels, but particularly here in Luke, the fourth chapter, we see the reception that Jesus received in greater Galilee. We see the way people responded to him and we see the results that he was able to produce in their lives. But that stands in stark comparison to the way he was received in his hometown of Nazareth, how he was responded to by the people in his hometown of Nazareth and how that affected what he was able, not willing, but able to do in their lives. I'm convinced, and um, Brother Aaron and some others have pointed out to me that although we're studying different subjects on Sunday and Wednesday, they are so powerfully related, they're so powerfully connected. They're, they're, they're two separate subjects, but they deal with the same um, issue, and, and that is um, people being unable to receive from God what it is that he so desperately desires for us to have. And I'm convinced that you know, one of the greatest problems that we face, not in the world today, but in the body of Christ, and, and that's even more serious than a problem in the world because we're the ones who've been equipped by God to bring answers and solutions to the problems in the world. But one of the great problems that we have in the body of Christ today is that God's children are not giving him the place in their lives that he deserves. And Another similarity between what we're teaching on Sundays and what we're teaching on Wednesdays is that there's a high level of deception. There's a high degree of deception. In other words, many of the people who are not giving God the place that he deserves in their lives are convinced that they are. They, they believe that, um, that they're really doing that when in actuality they're not. And um, that's not a statement of condemnation. It, it, it is a statement of correction. I believe the Holy Spirit is, is trying to correct some things um, in us so that it's for our benefit, right? That's what the Bible teaches. Our, our parents corrected us for our benefit. God corrects us for, for our benefit. And um, so anyway, I appreciate uh, you being here to hear this. So um, I'm tempted to, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to talk about it tonight. But if you have a chance, you know, go to like 
um, math, don't do it now, please, but like Matthew, the fourth chapter, and then Mark, I think it's the second chapter, where we see what was happening in Galilee. And, you know, this here in Luke, it, it just basically says that, you know, again, he went in the power of the Spirit and, um, you know, the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. But the other Gospels fill in a lot of the blanks, so to speak. And we see that people were being healed, demons were being cast out. Um, uh, you remember the story about Peter's mother-in-law when Jesus touched her on the hand and she was healed? That all happened during this time frame. And it was such a frenzy of activity as Jesus went from town to town, synagogue to synagogue, that this was when he was, I'm sure he did it throughout his earthly ministry, this is when he was praying all night because you know, ministry would start at daylight and people were still coming after dark for him to minister uh, to him, you know, for him to minister to them. And on one occasion, Jesus had slipped out before everybody else was, was awake and I think it was Peter that found him. He's like, hey, Jesus, where, you know, where'd you go? Everybody's looking for you, man, you know. And Jesus was like, it's time to move on to the next town. It's time to move on to the next city. Now, when we talk about, you know, the, the map, if you will, of Jesus' earthly ministry, we see there were different, you know, regions. And Galilee was more like a, a region. You had the Sea of Galilee and, you know, lots of, of cities and, and, and what have you around there. But then, if I've got my directions right, a good ways south of there was Jerusalem, and you, know, you had to pass through from Galilee to Jerusalem, you know, pass through Samaria. This, of course, is when Jesus passed through Samaria and met with a woman at the well, and, and um, just to kind of orient you geographically. But when all of this was happening in Galilee, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we see that, that people heard and came from as far away as Jerusalem, um, what was kind of referred to as the other side of, jo of the Jordan River, which you have to understand, it, it, it wasn't, travel wasn't the way it is in our day. You know, crossing a river was a serious undertaking. I mean, it, you know, it... It wasn't like they had bridges every two miles and, and, and things of this nature. And um, so, like, when somebody would say that people came from the other side of the Jordan, you know, people in their day would go, wow, man, are you serious? I mean, from that far and that much, you know, effort. We're talking about people traveling for days to get to Jesus when all this was initially breaking loose in Galilee, a little place in Galilee called Cana. We know what happened there, the wedding feast. We talked about Gadara this morning, Nain. Again, it's amazing what's happening. If you look, again, I was trying to find a, a, a good map to put on the screen, and I just I couldn't find the one that really I think I'm looking for, but I'll keep looking. But, but situated right in the middle of all that, 
is this place called Nazareth, Jesus' hometown. Now, it's interesting that we have people coming from Jerusalem to be ministered to. And the Bible says them folks that came, were, they were healed. Demons were cast out of them. They were set free. I mean, God was working in their lives through Jesus. And yet, no record whatsoever of anyone coming from Nazareth to be healed, to be ministered to by Jesus. But instead, are you ready for this? We see folks coming to find him to try to, like, get him under control. We, we see people coming that are like, Jesus, you're, you've lost your mind. What are you doing? What are you saying? Why, why, are you, why are you acting this way, man? I mean, if you remember at one point, even his own family is like outside a house where he is, and they're like, would somebody go in there and get our brother and tell him we need to see him, please? So do you see, again, reception, response, results? It would kind of be like a huge revival breaking out in Hueytown. And people coming, thank you for that amen, Brian. I was hoping somebody would catch that. And people coming from as far away as Florida. But people in Bessemer. People that were right here. You know, just absolutely refusing. And so we see that Jesus, when they didn't come, and was right there, they could, have, they could have came. He goes, I mean, to the hometown of Nazareth, hometown synagogue, does what he did in all those other synagogues. But the reception was different. The response was different. The results were different. Now, we could know how many kilometers between Nain and Gadara, but that's not what this is all about. What this is all about is for us to see these two different receptions, responses, and results, and us use those to examine our own reception, our own response to him, and how that affects the results that he is, again, able to do in our lives. Now, I want to, um, I'm going to skip down here a little bit. Verse uh, 16 through 17. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place that it was written, Spirit of the Lord is upon me, <clears throat> because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. The eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? 
Now remember, the general consensus in greater Galilee was he was glorified by all. But now we see that in his hometown, the part that they quote-unquote couldn't get past was that he can't be the Messiah. We know him. He, 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 you know. Now remember, Jesus did not do a single miracle on planet Earth as a man until he was baptized in water, baptized in the Holy Spirit. So that's what it's saying. He went forth in the power of the Spirit. The first miracle, um, and by the way, he would have been 30 years old at this point. The first miracle was at the wedding feast in Cana. So you hear all these rumors and stuff about Jesus, like healing you know, little animals and stuff when he was a kid, and it's all bogus. None of that happened. He was born of a virgin, born under the law, and according to the law, he could not have a public ministry of that, of that sort until he turned 30. So the point I'm making is that you know, for 30 years, these people in Nazareth had known him as Joseph's son, as the son of the carpenter. I forget exactly which gospel it's in. It's not talked about a lot, but Jesus was a carpenter. He, 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 you know, he didn't just like hang out and play video games until he turned 30 and started his earthly ministry. I mean, he worked with his hands. The Bible says that as a child, he grew, he waxed strong, he grew in stature, he grew in wisdom, he grew in favor with God and with men. And so there was this growing and maturing and developing and training and being trained and, and, and so forth and so on, all preparing him for this day when he turned 30, baptized in water, baptized in the Holy Ghost, went out into the, into the desert to be tempted and then came back in the power of the Spirit to Galilee where he began to do all these things. So when he comes to Nazareth, there's, there's this attitude, there's this opinion, if you will, of him. Let me, let me say it this way, and, and obviously you can't, you know, different people respond to things different ways. And as we've already said in our discussion of these things, there's always an exception. There's always a Joshua and a Caleb. Amen. When the whole nation doesn't believe, you know, two men who did, and they certainly received from God. So the idea that we're trying to somehow cookie-cutter, stereotype, everyone in Nazareth's response to Jesus. You, you can't do that. But again, in the same way that he was glorified by all means, that was the general consensus. The general consensus was, is not this Joseph's son? Now listen to me, please. If it's, it's no different in their day than it is in our day, other than in our day we have... Uh, doctors and medicine and surgery and treatments and, 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 and antibiotics and things of this nature. But just as anyone who is sick in our day, especially someone with something chronic or even, you know, God forbid, something terminal, then any hope or promise of help, of a cure, of someone who can do something to help you, um, it is... In other words, that's not, that's not rejected. The, it's actually just the opposite of that. People are very vulnerable. People 
are gullible. People get taken advantage of because they're so eager to believe that something or someone might can help their condition. So I believe the general consensus in Nazareth was that they really hoped it was true. That, that you know, man, you know, I mean, I guess stranger things have happened. I mean, I don't see how, it, I don't see how that would be the, the Messiah, really? I mean, maybe prophet, but, ah, man, you know, he wasn't trained in the school of the prophets like prophets were. You know, in other words, but it, it wasn't like they threw rocks at him when he came into the synagogue. I believe it was kind of like when uh, 9-11 happened. I, Pam and I, we were serving as a youth pastor in the church, you know. And uh, we came to church that Wednesday night. It, it was, no, not 9-11 when um, that was here, the first desert storm, um, when George, I forget the, not W, but his daddy. When, what year was that? I, about 91, yeah. And you remember shock and awe, and, 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 and I was, I, anyway, if I'm getting my dates, but then, okay, not 9-11, but then, um, Anyway, the long story short is we came to church on a Wednesday night and the place was packed. I'm like, man, who are all these people? You know, what's going on here, right? And, it, you know, crisis had kind of had drawn them in. I believe it was similar to that. I believe that word spread that Jesus was coming home. Jesus was going to be at the synagogue on Saturday, right? I believe there was more people in that synagogue on that Saturday than had ever been there in the history of that synagogue, you know. Um, because notice that it says that they marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. Now, marveled is a unique word, right? Um, I mean, you can marvel at something and still doubt it. You can, you can marvel at something, but as, as clearly these folks did, they marveled at the gracious words. But those gracious words were like here, and we know him as Joseph's son was like here. In other words, they didn't, they didn't rise up. Because remember, his words can't have a place that you don't give him. So they marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. Now, let me... Um, Praise God, we've still got a little time. Let me, let's do this. I wanna, I wanna do a comparison here of these things, okay? So first of all, in Galilee, this is kind of review, but adding some stuff to it. In Galilee, or we could say greater Galilee, they recognized and received him as the anointed one sent from heaven. Remember we broke down those five things? If you weren't here for that, we'll just kind of review them as we go through here. But in Galilee, you know, when he announced that he was the anointed one, they recognized and received him as that. But in Nazareth, they recognized and received him as Joseph's son. Do you see the difference there? All right. In Galilee, we learned that they treated him with great respect. 
In Nazareth, they treated him like anyone else who grew up among them. Right? You know. Are you seeing this? Okay. In Galilee, they expressed warm approval, admiration, and gratitude for him. In Nazareth, they expressed a wait-and-see doubt based upon curiosity and rumor. Remember, rumor was, was spreading, you know. And so, you know, do you understand wait-and-see doubt? It, in other words, it was this attitude, and we'll talk about this, maybe we have time tonight, but it was basically this attitude was until he shows me different, he's Joseph's son. And it was, it was there was a hope that it was true and that he did have miracles for them, but they were not going to give him that place until they showed, he showed them personally some proof. We said it this morning, let me say it again tonight, all right? He was glorified in Galilee, right? But he wasn't glorified because he did miracles, right? He did miracles because he was glorified. That's, that's really one of the most important things we've said all day. He wasn't glorified because he did the miracles. He did the miracles because he was glorified. They gave him the place which gave him the ability to do something in their lives. We have this idea. See, the Nazareth had the exact opposite approach to that. You know, we're not going to give you the place until you do the miracles. In Galilee, they deemed him worthy of their money, effort, and time. Remember now, he's been ministering, you know, in their region for some time now. And the only folks that we have record of that went to see anything or hear anything about it was the ones who came to try to, you know, rein him in, bring him back home, talk some sense into him. So in Galilee, they deemed him worthy of their money, effort, and time. In Nazareth, they deemed him worthy of an opportunity to prove what they heard about him was true. So again, the synagogue was crowded. They marveled at the gracious words. But all they were willing to give him was an opportunity to prove the rumors were true. In Galilee, they properly valued him. In Nazareth, they were offended at him and grossly underestimated his value. Is this helping you for me to do it this way? I'm trying to, you know, again, I, I really feel like it's kind of interesting because we haven't gotten yet, we haven't yet gotten to the, the original reason that we came to these verses. But we're getting there. Amen. Sometimes the Holy Spirit breathes on things and I want to rush through it and it's time to kind of slow down. Right? So, now, in Galilee, he healed all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. Okay? In Nazareth, this is the results part, right? In Nazareth, he could do my, no mighty work. I'm quoting, I'm, that is a quote from Matthew 4. This is a quote from Matthew 6. He could do, I mean, in 
is a quote from Mark 6. He could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. So again, there's exceptions. And these people were the exception. But again, there was a general consensus. Now, there is a principle in Scripture that we have studied already and it's the principle of receiving a prophet. Jesus said that a prophet is not without honor except in his own country. If we were to keep reading there in Luke 4, you would see that. And that honor is, is a, a giving place word. It's a respect. It's, a, it's an esteem. It's, it's a value word, right? So what he's basically saying is that everywhere a prophet goes, a true prophet is given place by the people except for the one place where he was brought up because that's where familiarity breeds contempt and people have an attitude towards him like, you know, again, we know you. And then Jesus went on to give us this amazing truth. Are you ready? If you'll receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you'll be given that prophet's reward. If you will give the person that God has sent to you the place that that person deserves in your life, that's so important to God that he will pass through that person the same reward to you that that, that, that individual has coming. We've taught, we taught maybe two sermons on this. I'm, I'm not trying to, some of you weren't here for that and I apologize. Here's the thing that really jumped out at me, I guess a week and a half ago when I went back through some of this. And, and that is this, and I'll, I'll put it up there. I emphasized it. Notice the, the verse says, receive a prophet in the name of a prophet not receive a prophet based upon what a prophet has done for you. You see the difference there? So this comes, this comes back to um, they didn't glorify him because he did miracles. He did miracles because they glorified him. He said you got to receive a prophet first in the name of a prophet. Right? You've got, let me say it another way. You've got to give the prophet place so that the prophet can then give to you what it is that God the Father has given to that prophet to give to you. But if you never give the prophet, prophet the place, then what the prophet has for you, you'll never be able to receive it. But if we have the attitude like they had in Nazareth, well, I'm not sure he's a prophet or not. We'll just have to wait and see if what he says comes to pass. At the minister's conference in February, was it February? It was January. January. Um, <clears throat> Brother Jerry Savell, uh, he uh, preached, taught a session. Um, each of the ministers has like an you know, hour, hour and a half session. And so I look forward to all those men. But I know just something about Jerry Savell, just the way he presents the word is such a blessing, you know. And um, he began his message with an audio recording 
of the night, I guess, I don't know, 40 years ago maybe or longer, when Kenneth Hagin Sr. prophesied over Kenneth Copeland and basically, um, you know, I don't know the right word, but sent him forth in the office of a prophet. And then, this is Jerry Savelle's, I think, 50th year of ministry, and if you know the story, he was a body man, you know, worked on cars and didn't ever go to church, and Kenneth Copeland came to his church, and his wife kept trying to get him to come, and he wouldn't go, and finally she told him, if you'll come one night and hear him preach, I'll never ask you to go to church again. If you, if you don't like him, if God doesn't move in you, I'll never ask you to go again. He said, that's the deal I was waiting on, right? So he went with the attitude of, all I'm going is just pacify her so she won't ever ask me again. And as they were getting ready that evening, he said, Kenneth Copeland, he said, he had a hit song. What was the name of the song, Pam? Anyway, some of you know Kenneth Copeland was a recording artist, number one songs was on his way, like to being a rock star, whatever, you know. God got a hold of him. He's a Kenneth Copeland, he said that name, and of course his wife Carolyn said, no, that's not him, that's a different Kenneth Copeland. He said, no, honey, that's, I believe that's him. And she said, no, that's not him. And he's like, well, now I'm going one to make this one trip to church so you never um, ask me again, and I'm going to find out from this man, if he's the Kenneth Copeland, you know, basically prove Carolyn that what he said was right. So he's a Kenneth Copeland's up there preaching and he was basically just, you know, counting the light fixtures, you know, just not paying any attention at all. And he said, Kenneth Copeland stopped in mid-sermon. He said, somebody in here wants to know that I, you know, you prophetically, right? Somebody in here wants to know about, did I record a hit song? And Yes, that was me, whoever you are. That was, I am the one who recorded that hit song and just went on. He said, now at this point, he's on the edge of his seat. Well, anyway, he, he comes to the Lord, and then he had been born again when he was younger. But anyway, long story short, they, they traveled together for years and preached. And so then Jerry Savelle launched out on his own, his own ministry. But in his 50th year of ministry, he says, I'm going to give this entire year to you, Brother Copeland. I'm going I'm to, I'm like the old days, I'm going to go with you everywhere you go. I'm going to help you. And... Um, no, no, I don't want any money or anything like that. I just want to bless you and honor you because of how you helped me so many years ago. So. so he went through, in this sermon at the minister's conference, he went through all the different things that Brother Copeland had prophesied over the years. And I say all, many of the things that Brother Copeland had prophesied over the years to him personally and also publicly things that had come to pass in his life. Jesse Duplantis did something similar. I think it was, I forget what year it was, but in July at the Believers Convention, the word of the Lord came to Brother Copeland and he told Jesse Duplantis, he said, everything that, that you're trying to accomplish this year, he said, will be accomplished before the end of the year and it'll be paid for debt-free. And Brother Duplantis, you know, he said, man, the first thought that came to my mind is, Brother Copeland, you have no idea what, I've set my goal, my sights on this year, you know, my faith on this year. But he said, sure enough, I mean, it was millions and millions of dollars, before, you know, with, within five months, it had all 
I mean, he says, like, we began that next year. Like, we got to get a whole other list of things to, to go after, pursue, you know, because some of those goals were multiple-year goals, you know, and all in just five months. And so I'm, I'm saying all this to say that the Lord spoke to Brother Copeland that 2019 was, was going to be the year of abundant harvest, the year of abundant harvest. Now, here was basically the beauty, but the simplicity of Brother Jerry Savelle's message, right? Do you believe what the prophet has said? Do you believe what the prophet has spoken? The Lord spoke to us in 2007, that 2007 there would be days of heaven in 2007, more than just a rhyme. Matter of fact, I thought it was kind of cheesy. I'm like, Lord, is that just me? You know, it's new. Well, man, it was 2007 was a, a banner year for us in so many ways here at Heritage as a family of faith and all that God did for us in those years, right? Well, then there were folks who, I heard somebody say amen here in those days, right? Well, you know, a couple of years later, somebody's like, you know, can't believe Pastor Mark said that, you know, it was a miserable year for me. Wasn't great. Yeah. So now listen, I'm not judging anybody, but I'm telling you, if, if you don't believe that you receive, what the man or woman of God is saying to you. Or just because the word of the Lord is that 2019 will be the year of abundant harvest. That doesn't mean that it's going to be an abundant harvest for you or for me just because he said that. Any more than the folks in Capernaum where the power of God was present to heal are going to be healed just because the power of God is present or just because the people right on the way to Jairus' house, we're bumping into Jesus and trying to grab hold of it. Those folks weren't healed, right? It's, there has to be some faith involved in this. Amen. But receive a prophet in the name of a prophet. Now, I thought it was of particular interest to me that, um, that this year is the first year the Lord spoke to us, right? That we as a family of faith were now entering into 20 years of harvest. The first 20 years of our history together has been characterized by 20 years of sowing. He told us to continue to sow, but that the next 20 years would be more known for their harvesting than their sowing. Amen. You believe that? See, that's the thing, right? You, amen. It, 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 you know, be it unto me according to your word, Father. Right? In other words, what? What he's, what he's spoken. So, obviously, Pam and I, you know, we've been just, just jazzed up, excited about, you know, beginning this 20 years of harvest and what that looks like, what that means. And, and then we go to the minister's conference, and, you know, Brother Copeland's declared from the word of the Lord that it's this year is the year of abundant harvest. So we're kicking off the first, first of 20 years of harvest with a year of abundant harvest. Amen. Amen. So receiving a prophet in the name of a prophet, giving that individual a place in your life, amen, so that what they say can be believed and received and come to pass in your life, amen. All right. Jesus was received in Nazareth, but not in the same way he was received in greater Galilee, even though he did in the synagogue in Nazareth exactly what he did in the synagogues in Galilee. 
We also see that Jesus' words were heard and, and we could even make a case that they were graciously received. I mean, they were like, oh, gracious words. What, what does that mean? Good sermon, Jesus. Nice delivery. You know, way, you know, the way you put so much feeling into that when you read it. It just gave me chill bumps. You know, I mean, it was, it was that kind of attitude, right? I mean, it was like, I don't think I've ever heard anyone read that passage with so much feeling. You know, that, that was kind of the, the level of compliment, the level of acknowledgement, the level of response, you know. But you still just Joseph's son, but man, you did a good job reading that. You see, that was, that was the attitude. It was a completely different reception. Did they hear Jesus' words? Yes. Was hearing enough? Clearly not. I believe the people in Nazareth were where so many are today, waiting to see what Jesus can do for them before they decide what they're going to do with him. Waiting to see what Jesus can do for them before they decide what they're going to do with him. They heard rumors of what had been done in other places for other people. Two Sunday mornings ago, we saw photos, children that had never spoken, children that had never heard, whose tongues were loosed and whose ears were opened. We saw photos and heard report from Brother Jerry and Sister Marilyn of people who had been healed of all kinds of disease and had even photographs of folks, before and after photographs of people who had been delivered from demonic possession. And I am sure that those who were present on that Sunday morning asked with a touch of disbelief or an undertone of disbelief, if that really happened in Pakistan, why is it not happening here? If God really did that through the ministry of Jerry and Marilyn O'Dell in India, in Honduras, and in many other countries around the world in the past, then why is it not happening here? And it's almost like, I'm not saying with you guys, but it's almost like this, you know, it's like, okay, whatever. You know. Again, these people wanted Jesus to do among them something they had not given him place to do. Amen. Stand with me tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
We said that to glorify Him was an unsolicited response, an unsolicited outward expression of an inward opinion of the heart. Last Sunday night, and we'll build on this some more next week, but last Sunday night we said that there were three levels, right? Opinion, fact, and truth. Everything that the people in Galilee did in reception and response to Jesus was based upon an opinion in their heart of Him. And everything, and it was the same as true in Nazareth, right? It was just a different opinion. A different opinion, different reception, different response, different results. It's the consequence of that. Felt impressed that I just, I'm getting ahead of myself, but somebody needs to hear this tonight. I, the Holy Spirit just prompted me, okay? Your opinion, your opinion cannot change fact, and your opinion cannot change truth, but that's not the power of opinion. The power of opinion is in the power that it has to change you. Again, it cannot change fact, and it certainly cannot change truth, but opinion, your opinion, is so powerful because of the effect that it has upon you personally, you individually. I like to simplify things sometimes to the point of oversimplification, but that's really what it boils down to is a difference of opinion, right? The opinion that people had in Nazareth versus the opinion that people had in Greater Galilee. Don't ever think that your opinion doesn't matter. It does. It does. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray that tonight you would help us identify wrong opinions that we have of you, Father. Some, hopefully no one here tonight, but Lord, some have been of the opinion that you're the one behind the sickness and the chaos. You're the one behind the cancer and the tornadoes. The opinion that somehow you're causing or behind the negative bad things in people's lives to teach us lessons in this. Again, Father, wrong opinion. Wrong opinion. It's not even fact, much less truth, but someone is of that opinion the power is what it exerts over them what they're able to receive and what they're able to do in life based upon that opinion so father help us help us see lord any opinion in our hearts that we have of you that's either wrong or incomplete that we would not just be of the opinion that you're our savior but that we would be of the opinion that you're our healer our deliverer our generous loving father who 
desires for us to prosper and be in health, even as our souls prosper. Father, I thank you for your holy word. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that's working powerfully and deeply inside of us. Father, I release the resources of your kingdom into the lives of my brothers and sisters tonight. I release the wisdom and revelation of the Holy Spirit of God into the lives of my brothers and sisters tonight, Father. That you would help us see things, Lord, more clearly than we've ever seen them before. Father, that we would not be deceived into thinking that we have given you a place in our lives that we've really not given you. That we would examine not our feelings, not what we think we feel about you. And Father, not even our words, not what we say, but that we would look the closest at our actions, our schedules, how we spend our time, Lord, that we would really begin to see just what place we have given you when it comes to our busy lives. Father, I am so excited about this because I know that this is an area where we can experience some really rapid change and rapid growth if we'll allow you to correct us in these areas. We thank you for your love. Father, as we go about our Week ahead, may we let our light so shine before others that they see our good works and glorify you in heaven. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you again for being here tonight. Good things coming. I was a little subdued in my voice, but amen. Good things. We love you. Blessings. See some of you in the morning. See some of you on Tuesday, others Wednesday. Amen. You have a great week.